You're listening to the Zoe Turner Podcast, business and mindset conversations that will help you move from fear and uncertainty to development and growth so that you can crush both life and business. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. Breast cancer is the second leading cause of death of women here in the UAE, which is where I live, which is second only to cardiovascular disease. So October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And for those that don't know, it's an annual international health campaign organized by major breast cancer charities every October to increase awareness for the disease and to raise funds for research into its cause, prevention, diagnosis, treatment and cure. First of all, before we go into talk about your story, Vera, I'd just like to ask you, what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for you and to connect with you. And um, I love the, I mean, unfortunately, we are in quarantine and um, we're not able to move around as much. But one of the gifts is being able to show up more on social media um, and grow my following and grow my business and all that. And that's what, I guess, how we connected. Um, I posted and was probably reposted by, you know, a breast cancer organization called the Breasties, or I don't, I don't know exactly how you found my story, but that's um, always a gift because how would I've, how would I've ever connected with you, you know? Um, So I just, I love that aspect and that gets me so excited about these international connections, which are so great. Yeah, and that's what's so wonderful about social media, because I knew that this month that I really wanted to speak to somebody very interesting. And I put on a, a an advert on a, a local business group we have in the UAE, and I got quite a lot of people saying that they would like to speak to me. And then I put a few hashtags in Instagram. I can't remember what they were, obviously something to do with Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And that is how I find found you. And I just thought, oh, you know, I'll send her a message and see whether or not she would be interested. So it was pretty quickly that I found you. I can't remember what the hashtag was, mm-hmm, but I can mm-hmm, see that mm-hmm. you're very active on social media. And I was happy to find you because I came across your profile and obviously I had a quick look at it. And I thought that, you know, we were in kind of like similar fields and, mm-hmm. you know, we'd have like synergies and stuff. So I thought you'd be the first mm-hmm. perfect person for me to speak to. Would you introduce yourself to the audience, Vera, and kind of, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do and and your story? Oh, sure. Yeah. So my name is Vera Ventura. I live in Boston, Massachusetts. Originally, I'm from Miami. Um, And I have been in in recovery, actually, for 16 years from food addiction. Um, I was actually bulimic for about seven, eight years and um, went on like a very deep spiritual path starting around 24 years old. I'm 40 now, um, where I started meditating every day and eliminated flour and sugar and um, and alcohol and drugs and men, things that were all very addictive for me. And um, was sort of like a pinnacle of health. I became a yoga teacher. I 
was really hyper conscious of my body of, I mean, not in an obsessive way, but just like just being healthy, like eliminating chemicals and pharmaceuticals and, you know, just anything that would potentially be cancer causing. And my father had passed away of cancer um, two years ago from pancreatic cancer. So I, I was like, oh my God, you know, I never thought that I could ever have cancer, to be honest. And whenever, you, you know, I saw the, like breast cancer events, I'd be like, oh, that's so sad for them. Like, you know, I was very much in the line of thinking, you know, it's uh, environmental and it's um, what and the choices that you make. Right. Um, and I could do my best to avoid the environmental impacts and the choices that I make on a daily basis by healthy living and conscious living. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was just like a huge shock. Um, so basically, um, I had felt like lumps in my breast, uh, but really like a really big, big mass. So I always thought like breast cancer would just be these like little pea lumps. And it was like a big mass. And I was actually breastfeeding at the time. I have two kids. Um, so my daughter was still breastfeeding, even though she was like quite old, like four years old. Mm. She was still breastfeeding. So I just thought, okay, well, you know, it's from breastfeeding. It's some sort of like block milk duck. And I went into the doctor and they were like, oh, yeah, it's a block, whatever. It, don't worry about it right now. Just wait till you're done breastfeeding and we'll, we'll do a mammogram or something. And, and my mom was actually really persistent with me. She's like, have you gotten a mammogram? Have you gotten a mammogram? And, and it's interesting because in the U.S. where I live, um, most women don't get mammograms till they're 45. So I was 39. I'm 40 now. So this is last year, almost a year ago, exactly. And I... Um, Stop. I basically, I was like, okay, this is a little weird. I'm going to stop breastfeeding on that side. So the lump really didn't go away. It felt like it was actually getting bigger. So then I went back again and I was like, okay, can we like check this out? And so we did a mammogram, which is where they like take your boob and then um, they have your, your boobs and basically you get, they get compressed and then scanned. It's not that enjoyable of an experience. Mm ever done a mammogram have you done one Zoe I think I have yeah I think I've done one once maybe I would remember if I had but I'm pretty oh, sure you would definitely a woman would definitely remember <laughs> a mammogram so if you didn't do a mammogram <laughs> you would definitely remember it is it is not um, um it is not something that's pleasurable at all but it needs to be done right so so it, it happened and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, it's definitely going to be benign like there's no way I could have it's probably just some some cyst. And then they, I got the news back that actually it, it was, it was, it was a tumor that they were concerned about, right? And they wanted to do a biopsy. So there was tumors on both sides, not just the, not just the right side and not just, you know, not just the right side, but also the left side. And at that point, they don't tell you have cancer. They just say like that you have some concerning areas, right? So then you have to wait to do a biopsy. And that in the biopsy is when they take samples. And that's where they take a, a piece of the, the tissue from the tumor. So that's another process. Once again, not that enjoyable. It's like an ultrasound, and they, you know. Mm -hmm. 
and then you just wait. And so a lot of like the whole uncovering of breast cancer is actually a lot of waiting, which is important to have like a deep spiritual grounding because it could be very um, anxiety producing. And I know a lot of women struggle with that during the waiting time. So I called on a lot of my, my foundation, my wellness, my yoga, my, you know, meditation, my, you know, just faith, like, okay, calming, grounding, because stress, you don't want to be stressed through the process. Like, that's the idea. You don't want to be stressed through the process, even though it can be stressful. Right. So then you're waiting. And then I found, find out that it was actually cancerous, right? So both, both, both sides were cancer. So then you're getting that information. And then you have to wait to find out what the, the, what the diagnosis is, right? Is it stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four? Did it metastasize? Did it go into your body? Is it in your lymph nodes? Like these are all nuances that are very like, oh my gosh, I could die tomorrow. Like you just don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Is it metastatic, right? So then you have to wait more and then there's more, you know, uncovering of that. And so mine actually was stage one and stage two. So it actually hadn't metastasized um, beyond my lymph nodes. And the way that they determined that was they actually, I had a surgery where they took out my lymph node. It's called the sentinel node. And they examined it to make to make sure there was no cancer in that in that sentinel node. So that's how I have how I found out. So there was a bit of relief because once it's gone into your body, that's that is that's very very serious and um, requires a lot of action. Not that I didn't have a lot of action as stage one and two, but at that point your doctor sits down with you and you come up with a plan of action, which involves usually like chemotherapy, things like that. So the next chapter of the story is also genetic testing, right? So there were a lot of red flags because I was under 40. I had bilateral breast cancer, bilateral, which means both sides. And I was really healthy, right? You know, that's a red flag because most women don't get breast cancer until later on, like in their 60s, you know, especially bilateral. Mm. And so I went for genetic testing. And once again, another waiting game, because that takes about three weeks to come back. And on the form, you have like these little boxes that you check out, right? Like, are you this? Are you that? Are you this? Are you that? One of the boxes is, are you an Ashkenazi Jew? Well, I am full-blooded Jew, mm. Jewish descent. However, I'm Sephardic and Ashkenazi. And Ashkenazi is the European Sephardic. It's the, the more like Spanish side because mm. my family was originally from Spain on mm. the Sephardic side. My father's family is the side that my grandmother had breast cancer. My father died of pancreatic cancer. My mother's side is the Ashkenazi didn't. So I thought, all right. But I still, I still, of course, checked Ashkenazi Jew. What does being a Jew have to do with having breast cancer? Great question. So um, the Ashkenazi Jewish population has a higher rate of a certain kind of mutation called the BRCA1, Interesting. BRCA2. Okay. So there's certain mutations because there was a genetic bottleneck 
mm-hmm. um, during the Inquisition and the Crusades, where a lot of Jews were killed and forced to live in like small ghettoized areas where they intermarried. And the key to genetic diversity is inter interbreeding. Really, that's like the key to it. Um, that's why if you look at like the Hasburgs or you know, like royalty, like the British royalty or something, there's like a lot of inbreeding, you know, and mm-hmm. that causes genet- genetic um, problems down the line. Not so much now, but back in the day, like people would marry their cousins and stuff like that. So same thing with probably the Jewish population when there was just a lot of genetic inbreeding. So it's a lot of um, genetic issues with the Ashkenazi population. So this is one of the, there are certain markers that Jewish uh, people have for cancer. So anyway, I waited three weeks for that. And I think in between that time, um, it was, we came up with a plan of action for what I was going to do with the, with the situation with the cancer, which involved like heavy chemotherapy, like super blasting chemotherapy, which is challenging for me. I work in holistic health. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm a yoga teacher, um, I was, I actually used to be a high school teacher, but then I left teaching to do something that I was really passionate about. And that's where, what led me to work with essential oils and um, holistic supplements, things like that, that would be more natural than, than um, pharmaceuticals and especially chemical, <laughs> medical drugs. And that's exactly what chemo is. It's literally um, chemical medicine that's pumped in your body and it makes you really sick. It makes your hair fall out and it blasts the chemo. So there's a lot of, that was like a whole journey in itself. And I'm sure women who are listening to this, who are um, like drawn to the holistic world would, would find it really hard to do chemo because you it literally is just destroying the good and the bad cells. And it makes you really, really sick. Yeah. Whereas like I, I was, um, even in my own holistic community, almost judged sometimes for doing chemo. I remember somebody said, Oh, that's just going to kill, like it killed my mom. It's going to, it's terrible for you or something like that. And, and granted, yeah, my father, after he got a shot of chemo, he was no longer able to walk. And then shortly later, like he died, um, his body couldn't handle the chemo. Um, so I was, Definitely. It was, that was a really hard step. I had another friend who was diagnosed with cancer, not breast cancer, but she ended up going a completely different route, ended up going to Mexico, you know, doing frankincense infusions. And, you know, I have, I still have people emailing me holistic doctors and things like that, which, you know what, I totally understand because I work in the holistic field, but at the same time, number one, insurance doesn't cover that. And and number two, like I'm, I, I do want to go with statistics. And I did have friends who had gone through these kind of, you know, chemotherapy and they're in remission and things like that. So I had an open mind, but it was hard. Like they, <laughs> the cancer doctors were really like firm with me about it. And I didn't want to lose my hair. Okay. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. So in any event, and feel free to stop me, Zoe, if I'm talking too much. Do you have any questions? <laughs> Not at the moment, I, but okay. I will. I'll butt in if I need to. Okay, cool. Mm. So it turned out mm. after I got the genetic testing back that I actually had the genetic mutation that causes cancer. 
um, and it's called the BRCA1. So, so what was the timeline from you being diagnosed to, to kind of where we probably, are now? Um, well, I was diagnosed exactly last year, mm-hmm. November. Um, so, I mean, where are we now in the timeline? About two months in mm-hmm. um, from when I got the genetic Okay. Results. So you got your results and, back and you. And so, yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, everyone knows about Angelina Jolie. And so basically we share the same type of genetic mutation. So insurance companies actually now pay for women to pro, um, pro proactively remove the breast and the ovaries as a result of this genetic mutation because of the high risk of breast cancer. And ovarian cancer. So it's called the BRCA1. BRCA1 and BRCA2 genetic mutation. So I'm a carrier of that, that I inherited either from my dad or my mom, but most likely from my dad's side because he died of cancer. His mother died of cancer. And my mom's side, I don't have that on her side. So so it's you inherit it, right? And my daughter has a 50% chance of inheriting it too. But now they can do, um, they can see in your embryo, like the, I'm sorry, not embryo, but they can see um, uh, before a baby's born, if they have that, like they can check the, I guess the, the embryo cells. I don't know, but okay. they can. Wow, that's really screen. interesting. Yeah, they can screen for it now. We just didn't screen for it because, but then you, you play around with genetics and all that, which could be a little strange as well but anyway so um I got that and I, I honestly will say it was a bit of a relief because um it, I, I knew that it was nothing like I did right it, it wasn't like a food I was eating or you know I mean obviously there could be a lot of environmental factors to it and um even eating out of plastic and you know all that it, it causes extra um uh extra estrogen in the body things like that. Um, there are, you know, uh, you know, in fish, I mean, there, there's definitely red flags with, with food and hormones and GMO, but I, I, once I found it was genetic, I kind of like relaxed a little bit. (laughs) Um, and then, and then it was, you know, that time that it was gearing up to do the chemo and you see these women with the bald head and, you know, like, some of them are like, yeah, I got my bald head. And I, um, I was not really ready to be that kind of woman. Um, I'll be honest. I'm pretty vain and I love my hair. And um, I had this really curly, like blonde, well, it was fake blonde. I'm not a natural blonde, but this curly blonde hair. And I was like very attached to it. <laughs> um, so that was not, I was really, you know, I'll be honest, that was hard for me. So I, I did my research and um, a friend of mine was like, have you heard of the cold cap? I was like, I have not heard of the cold cap. And the cold cap is this incredible technology. Well, it's basically just like putting ice cubes on your head for about five hours, four or five hours while you're getting chemo. And it freezes the hair follicle and then your hair is less likely to fall out. Oh. Okay. So I don't know if you've heard of that. No, never heard of that. Yeah, it's the cold cap. So this would be good for women who don't know about that. Mm. So basically, um, there's this company called Paxman. There's a couple other companies, but I went with the company Paxman. And then what was really cool 
is there is a um, a company here in the U.S. Not a company, a nonprofit called Hair to Stay, and they actually help finance your cold cap too. So you get like subsidies um, with the cold because insurance really doesn't cover it yet. Mm-hmm. Although they totally should, they totally should. I think they are working on that, but they they totally should. So it's like, it's pretty expensive, but I was able to get a great, you know, discount and I got the cold cap and, um, I started going for the chemo and the chemo makes you like, I got the big guns and it just makes you so sick and you don't want to eat and you, um, your hair starts, you know, falling out, not right away. Your hair doesn't fall, but it's, a, it's cumulative effect. So yeah, the hair will still fall out, but it's like. I never lost all my hair. So I, I always still look like I had hair, mm-hmm. although it was very, very thin. And everything that was dyed, like, fell out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I have really short hair now. Mm-hmm. But I still never lost, like, I never lost my hair. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was always still there. Anyway, so I did that. The chemo was really intense. Um. But at the same time, while I was doing my chemo, I was doing my essential oils, like detox, like a lot of like my holistic remedies I was doing in conjunction with the chemo, which I think everyone should do who is going through cancer treatment. It's really important to balance the chemical medicine with the holistic remedies, plant-based remedies. So every time I had chemo, detox, detox, lemon oil, um, you know, zendocrine, cleaning out your kidneys, your liver, because that stuff can actually decrease your lifespan as well. Uh, chemotherapy can mm-hmm. actually, I mean, I know it's preserving your lifespan because it's killing the cancer, but it's also so much wear and tear on your organs. That's really important to clean it out because it can decrease your lifespan once you're obviously cancer-free. Um, so, a lot of that I continued with like my cellular supplements, things like that, frankincense, um, for nausea, peppermint, ginger, um, digestion, digest, there's one called digestion. So, uh, exfoliating by doing, um, uh, what's it called? Dry brushing, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, which is great for skin and circulation. So these are the practices that I practice and and everyone was like, oh my God, you do so good. You're doing so good. My doctors were always like, oh my God. So I, the results were really amazing. Even though chemo was not easy, the, you know, I had like probably abnormal results as a result. And my, I I kept a lot of hair, more hair than they'd ever seen. And I think that's as also as a result of what I was doing with supplements and Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. So that I was really grateful for that. And then once all that was over, I got like a certificate and was like, congrats, you're done with chemo. And, um, and then, um, and then I got a double mastectomy in April. So right around coronavirus time. And initially I was going to have a total reconstruction where they take my belly fat. Cause I do have belly fat. I'm pretty thin, but I had belly fat. I had two kids. I had belly fat. They're going to take belly fat and put it where my boobs are. Cause I do not, I did not want implants and I have friends who had implants and they are getting their implants removed because they have uh, issues as a result of implants. There's a whole movement now to remove implants. My friend just did that yesterday. She's, she's from England, mm-hmm. UK. And um, I knew always I'd never wanted implants. 
I wanted my own natural tissue. How cool is that? You could have your own fat as your boobs. I mean, hello, who wouldn't want that, right? How easy was it for you to make the decision to have the double mastectomy? Oh, I mean, once they told me I could do, once they told me I can do the, um, the fat transfer and make new boobs out of it, I actually was fine with it. I know a lot of women are like attached to their boobs. I mean, of course, I have a lot of memories with my boobs and I, and I enjoyed breastfeeding my kids, you know, all, both of them and, you know, my daughter until she was four. So I think more the psychological, you know, attachment to breastfeeding and all that. But I wasn't particularly like, I need to have my boobs. I really, for the rest of my life. It, Statistically, you know, if you didn't have the mastectomy, um, what was the chance of you maybe getting cancer again in the future? Um, it's just 100% recommended for the cancer that I have. So I didn't even entertain those options. But the, I think it just depends on the type of cancer. Because of my it, because my cancer is a genetic type, it, it, it's a hundred percent recommended by like every everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, if you're going to get second or third opinions, it's, they're just going to say the same thing. So I, in that way, I, I never really fought the double mastectomy. I always knew that. I just wanted to do everything together. You know, I just wanted like I didn't want to wake up and have like nothing there. And, and yet you're right it's pretty awesome what you're saying that they can actually take the fat from your your stomach and they can use that or for your breast. At, or or your butt or okay. like somewhere yeah I mean there are women who also have got like muscle transfer they can do that but that's like kind of that's not what I would want especially being like someone very physical yoga teacher like I don't want to take a muscle from somewhere else and put it where it doesn't you know mm-hmm. I don't want to Personally, I wouldn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, yeah, it's called the DEEP. D-I-E-P, but if anybody's listening. I guess if you've, got, if you've got a bit of spare fat on your, your belly, it's almost like having a tummy tuck as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah it's like I, having a tummy I basically, so, Yeah, I basically had a tummy tuck too. Awesome. I mean, your scar is like really big. I noticed, yeah, I, mean, I did notice your scar and it's... Um, it yeah, it's not huge. a normal tummy tuck scar. Yeah, yeah, it's a big scar. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they're not just taking fat and like removing it like they would a tummy tuck. They're literally taking fat, tissue, blood vessels to to put it into your boobs. So, I mean, the scar will heal. It will fade. You know, it's still like above my bikini line, but it's a huge scar, um, which I don't personally care. You know, it's like your warrior scars. Sure, definitely. So, so yeah, I mean that was the idea. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this and we can do this like in January. And, (laughs) and then they're like, you should do all your chemo first before you do any of that. So I was a little bit bummed out about that. I had to do all the chemo. The chemo was done, um, March ish, right when like, Oh, at March, April, May, um, somewhere around there, right when the coronavirus hit, I still had to do more chemo. So I think I had more chemo until April, And I think I did my double mastectomy in May, um, which was, you know, they could not do the reconstruction with the chemo. I mean, sorry, they could not do the reconstruction with the double mastectomy because of coronavirus time. So the plan had changed. So you had to be flexible. 
And I was really bummed out about that. I was actually really, really, because it it's major surgery, right? It's major surgery. And to do the surgeries twice, double mastectomy was a huge surgery. Reconstruction is a huge surgery, right? So I just wanted to get it one shot, but that wasn't going to happen. And I, and I was like, we should just wait. We should just wait. And they're like, no, no, you can't wait. You can't wait. You have to do the, the double mastectomy. So that time was really hard. And I didn't really want to do it. I wanted to wait, but they, they weren't having it. So I went for it and I did the double mastectomy and, and, and then they inserted uh, tissue expanders into my breast area. And then I did the double mastectomy. And that was really like initially um, shocking, you know, to have no breast and that my husband needed to help me. I, I went home the same day because no one was staying in the hospital because coronavirus. So it was, that was, that was like intense. And, um, and then uh, they deconstructed the tumor inside the breast. And then they discovered it was a different type of cancer. And then what they thought, and then they suggested I do more uh, immunotherapy. So I have now another year of immunotherapy because of the type of cancer that it is. And so I'm done with the chemo, but I'm doing immunotherapy every three weeks, which doesn't make your hair fall out, but it's no fun. I mean, it, it's still putting like all that chemical poison in your body. Poison, good poison, but it's still, you know, so the type still of doing. The type of cancer yeah. that they found that it was, was it more, um, I don't know if this is the right word to use because cancer serious anyway, but was it kind of worse than what they diagnosed before? Um, before they had, they felt like they had just target, they had blasted what it okay. was. And then what would, after they blasted what it was another, like underneath the blasting was okay. like another type, a uh. type. So it's just a different type of response the cancer has. So it's going to respond really well to this therapy because, um, and keep in mind, like I could be totally cancer free right now. And I probably am, to be honest, this is all just preventative. So I live like really, really long life. So this is um, a 30 to 40% chance that I could have cancer. So 60% chance I don't. So everything I'm doing now, like even, even the double, I mean, even, uh, I mean, after the double mastectomy, everything I do now at this point is all just preventative. So mm -hmm. yeah, the immunotherapy is continual preventative. And the estrogen blocking is all preventative. The, you know, we do estrogen blocking because if it's an estrogen blocking cancer, it's all preventative. So um, I did the delmasectomy and then more immunotherapy. And then finally they said, you're ready for the reconstruction when, when the coronavirus wasn't as extreme. And so I just did that three weeks ago, exactly. I had a total reconstruction with the deep flap. And, um, I'm really happy with the results and I'm really grateful and I love my breasts. Um, I love my new stomach. Um, although there are some, they do have to tweak it a little bit. Like nothing is ever going to be, you know, right away perfect. So it's kind of like an ongoing thing. Like if you want nipples and they have to smooth out the sides a little bit of my stomach area. Um, but yeah, I mean, the journey is not over. 
and it continues and it's just like staying optimistic staying healthy you know taking care of yourself i mean so much of that is part of the journey um and, and not getting discouraged not getting not not getting no self-pity you know none of that you know i i can't afford any of that in your teachings you talk a lot about self-care and mm -hmm. routine what have you done during this time to enable you to to take care of your mental health and what routines have you put in place yeah so every morning after my kids go to school i i meditate for a half hour um i connect with a lot of people like um constantly socializing but like through so um uh, Zoom or like I go to I go to twelve step meetings actually for my um, help with um, just my the food addiction which um, could take you know uh, especially being quarantined you know um, it's so easy to go to flour sugar as like a comfort you know and so my twelve step meetings help me just connect with other people who are in the same boat I am and I so I don't feel alone. Um, I, I give service to other people. I sponsor other um, people who are suffering from food addiction as well. So doing service in the morning is really important to get out of your own head. So mm -hmm. you don't wake up thinking thinking about yourself or like checking your social media and just making itself like for me, I'm an addict and I'm pretty self-centered as an addict. So to be like, get out of myself is really important. And then just the, the daily use of just like, you know, eating really healthy food and um, taking my, my holistic, you know, my, my supplements that are like my omegas and my food nutrient and using my essential oils and on my skin and, you know, beautifying and, um, you know, being, you know, being loving with my husband, you know, spending time with my kids, like all these things fill my soul, connecting with my higher power. Um, those are all things that fill my soul. And keep me really grounded. Do I get off the beam sometimes? Of course. Like I'm human. I'm not a freaking robot. But those are like my foundations. Do you find that your background in kind of holistic health and, you know, the fact that you, you are highly conscious, do you find that that's helped you on this journey? Do you feel that that's helped you get through it? Maybe, I, I know every person's journey is probably different and the steps that they take I mean you alluded to that when you were talking about the chemo and you know mm -hmm. it's such a personal thing for each individual person I guess but do you feel that your background has has really helped helped you get I through this yeah I, I don't see how it couldn't right mm. it's like you're armed with this knowledge and and then you have a community and in my in the company that I work for, there's an incredible community of people who's, who have gone down the journey before as well. Um, so pulling on that community of support saying, Hey, Vera, have you, you know, try this and, you know, use this, you know, frankincense, if you Google frankincense, you know, PubMed, there's a uh, over a hundred studies that show how powerful frankincense is for cancer prevention, you know, just things like that, where, um, the knowledge is there and people are there to guide you as well. And it's, it's, it's like, you don't do it in isolation. It's, it's from other people's uh, journey who can provide that insight as well. Mm. What struck me about you from your 
Instagram when I was going through your feed was how positive you were. I remember at the time, it was only a few weeks ago and you were in hospital and I wasn't mm-hmm. quite sure what you were in there, what you were in for. I kind of thought it was for a mastectomy, but from what you're telling me, your mastectomy was, was back in April. Um, mm-hmm. But you were in hospital and yeah, just your positive attitude and you know, I know Instagram is a different story. Quite often we do put the highlights on there. <laughs> I was very um, drawn to the way that you were dealing with it and your positivity and just how you were handling it overall. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any advice that you would give to, there's any women out there, Vera, who are maybe going through the same, how they can navigate it mentally with the mental health? Because getting news like this, it could really turn your life upside down. And so wonderful speaking to you is that you, you know, I'm sure you've had some really low points throughout your journey. I'm sure you have, but you really seem to be quite, you know, kind of balanced. And and it's all happened, all really just within the space of a year, you know. Mm -hmm. Is there any tips or anything that you would be able to give to any women that are maybe on this journey and you know how they could cope with it from a mental health perspective sure my advice would be to connect with some sort of group support group and connect with other women who have gone through it so you feel like you're not alone yeah and what you were saying then that you 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 connect with people a lot socially I mean social interaction is so good for our soul anyway and for our mental health and it's something that a lot of us don't do a lot of regardless of our situation Vera thank you so much for your time Mm -hmm. it's been really interesting speaking to you thank you for sharing your journey with us yeah we just wish you all the best for the future thank you and you know if anyone's listening if they want to connect with me they can follow me on instagram at voracious healing and also my website is www.veraventura.com. And the essential oils that you use a lot of, I believe that mm-hmm. you um, you have them for sale on your website too. Oh, yeah. I work with women directly. Actually, mm-hmm. I work with women who have cancer mm-hmm. and who are going through it. And then just regular, you know, moms, whatever, you know, whatever um, women, just to help them uh, find the essential oils that will elevate their life. Um, and that's really, that brings me so much joy and, um, uh, all the consultations are free and I just love figuring out what's going to work for you. And, you know, whether it be digestion, skin, stress, you know, um, and then, and then in introducing a really like non-toxic, um, plan, because that's really the foundation of wellness is getting rid of, um, toxic chemicals and anything that would be compromising to your body and you can't get any more pure than a plant you just can't so it really is incredible it's good I'm always open to work with people it's good to know as well that despite cancer being genetic and the fact that you were really clean before that and you led a very non-toxic life it's really good to know that now you're still continuing and you still yeah you haven't kind of thought oh like you know what's the point no more than ever more women are getting cancer you know more more people are suffering as a result of all all the stuff that's in the chem and the products and 
we're not aware of it, especially now with coronavirus, where it's like everyone's just spraying down like with Clorox and all these like heavy chemicals. Yeah, that's not that's not necessarily going to be healthy, especially for our children. And, you know, it's just it's it's yeah, it's um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm personally a, a big lover of oils, chemical free mm-hmm. skincare. The only place that I really fall down is my hair. Because my mm. hair's quite thick and it's just kind of, I need a mm. good hair mask. So my hair and my makeup, that, mm. but other than that, I can, I know there are lots of makeup companies out there that are totally chemical free. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I do. And there was one, I can't remember the name of it. It's an Australian brand. I think it began, begins with an, an N or something. I, I can't remember. So if you can recommend any good non-chemical-free yeah. hair products that really, really work as good as Kerastase. What is that? So oh, Car- like hair, like, yeah. like, um, like hair, like a, like a hairspray? Kerastase is a brand. It's quite a well-known mm. brand. I think it's part of the L'Oreal family, but it's the, their hair masks are just absolutely amazing. Like your hair oh, is really? just so oh, soft. Wow. They're so amazing uh, because they're, you know, I mean, they're full of chemicals, basically. They've even got parabens in it. So I have like a natural hair mask and I have my Kerastase hair mask and I'll kind of like alternate it and I'll maybe use the Kerastase yeah. like once a week. But yeah, it's got all the silicones and all of that in it. I don't know. I'm always on the hunt for a good natural solution for my hair. So if you come across anything, let me know. (laughs) I will. I will. I will. Thank you again for your time. And you've given us some fantastic information there. And thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day because it's... About yeah, 12, thank you. 12 noon over thank there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Much love, Vera. All right, thank you. Bye-bye.